0: Want to know how technology is building a bridge to the future? Then tune into The Bridge, a six-part Cisco podcast series, featuring experts sharing their knowledge and insights. Find out how technology is building a bridge to the future of business and beyond. The Bridge Podcast Series powered by Cisco. Listen now on the Go Loud app or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Between the lines
0: with Andrea Gilligan.
1: This is News Talk.
2: Welcome along to News Talks Between the Lines programme with myself Andrea Gilligan where we'll be taking a closer look at some of the main stories and issues of interest. My thanks to everyone who got in contact regarding last week's programme on the need for mandatory vaccinations and the opinions on both sides. You can listen back to the podcast on Newstalk.com or on iTunes and as always you can get in contact with us today by emailing Between the Lines at Newstalk.com or on Twitter at myself at Andrea Gilligan. Well coming up today we'll be discussing the extinction emergency. We'll be talking about the collapse of nature and the associated risks for humans. To discuss we're joined in studio by our panel, Jane Stout, Professor of Botany at Trinity College Dublin, Warwick Fogarty, who's the Campaign Officer of the Irish Wildlife Trust, and also Yvonne Buckley, who's a Professor of Zoology at Trinity College Dublin and the Chair of the National Biodiversity Forum. You're all very welcome and thanks for joining us today. Um, I suppose really to start, the the devastating impact of humans on nature has kind of really been laid bare earlier this week in a fairly compelling UN report and one million animal and plant species are now threatened with extinction. Um, Nature everywhere certainly appears to be in decline as a result of this new UN report. But could I maybe just start with yourself first of all, I suppose, Jane, just give us some of the details, some of the main components, the findings of this report that was published this week.
0: So the report was um, a, a global assessment of the state of biodiversity and ecosystems around the world, compiled by uh, hundreds of scientists based on years of research um, and endorsed and signed off by um, the world's government. So in that way, it's quite significant um, in terms of the, the, the back. Uh, the background research that's gone into it, um, the, the the headlines in terms of a million species threatened with extinction, in terms of the main drivers of uh, loss of biodiversity and destruction of ecosystems, um, these are things that, to people working in the community, it, it's not new. Um, information. So we know that uh, habitat loss and destruction, that climate change, over-exploitation, pollution, um, invasive species, we know that all of these things are causing biodiversity loss and we've known this for, for the last few decades. I think the important thing about this report um, is that it's put this information out uh, in such a way that it is uh, non-equivocal now. So it's, it's not that this is a debate, it's that this is now a fact that has been uh, agreed by um, uh, scientists all over the world, Mm -hmm. and also endorsed by governments. So I think that's the the main um, thing to take from the report, as well as the the recommendations from the report, that we need um, transformative change. So we need to address this um, uh, destruction and, and loss of nature in what we're doing in our everyday lives, in our economies, uh, in our behavior, and realize that uh, natural resources aren't infinite, that we can't just keep exploiting um, nature and natural resources for short-term business or economic gain, um, and that these things are fundamental there. Nature's our life support system.
2: You mentioned that you weren't as obviously as people for people working in the community, this particular area, you weren't, you're not widely surprised by the findings. But do you think when people hear these kind of headline stats, some of which you mentioned, Jane, that it might actually sort of ring a bell with people that, oh, actually, I, maybe I didn't know that.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's one of the key things is that, you know, we've had various people say to us this week, gosh, I didn't realise it was that bad. Um, and I think the the other thing that's come across um, through the week has been, yes, this is really bad, but there's still time to do something about it. Um, and so, you know, people get fatigued with the doom and gloom statistics of how bad it all is. Um, but I think, you, you know, we do have the chance to to make the changes that are necessary, but it, it, it is going to be transformative. It is going to involve uh, changes across society and across uh, the economy and the way that we, um, the, the way that our, our systems work.
2: Pork Fogarty from the Irish Wildlife Trust. Just give us your take first of all on this uh, UN warning.
1: I think, it's, uh, I think it's devastating. I think we should be shocked and even a little bit scared by it because uh, nature is our life support system. We only have one atmosphere. We only have uh, one source of water and food. Uh, everything really comes from nature. If the global ecosystem collapses, and when we look at this in parallel with the collapse in our climate, uh, it really does, as David Attenborough pointed out last year, it really does spell the end of human civilization as we know it.
2: The absolute end.
1: Yes, well, I mean, we know that human civilization has collapsed in the past, for instance. We know that mass extinction has happened in the past. There's absolutely no reason why it couldn't happen again. What this report is spelling out is that this is underway at the moment, today. Uh, We have options. uh, And the sooner we act, the better.
2: Just in terms of the kind of the, the, the key findings or recommendations from the actual UN report, I suppose just to kind of spell it out to people, I think a lot of the information that people have kind of taken in on this particular topic during the week will come as kind of new news to people that aren't per- perhaps completely au fait with this but just what were you kind of, do you think people would be most shocked by to hear? The things that might actually affect people on a day-to-day basis?
1: Um. Well, I, su- I suppose uh Nature has vanished from Ireland. So, you know, when you walk in the countryside in Ireland, what you're seeing is, is a shadow of what used to exist. Now, many people haven't really noticed that or, you know, don't see that disappearance, as it were, because you're asking people to see something that isn't actually there. If you talk to older people, uh, particularly older people who lived in the countryside, who lived near the sea, particularly those people who worked in the sea or on the land, they will tell you how abundant nature was, even only 50, 60 years ago. Uh, and that has all uh, disappeared. The really frightening thing, of course, extinction is nothing new. It's been happening uh, you know, by humans for many, many centuries, but it has really ramped up, accelerated exponentially. And actually, if you look at extinction rates and the loss of forests and the over-exploitation of the seas and greenhouse gases and all these other indicators, the graph's all look very similar. It's all this exponential ski jump type uh, mm. shape, uh, and we don't really know where it's leading. So
2: this is the kind of the acceleration in the loss of, for instance, animals and plants and etc. Like that—that's what we're talking about.
1: That's what we're talking about. The World Wildlife Fund produced a report last year that said seventy percent of the world's large mammals have vanished. Not, not species extinct now, but the numbers, the absolute numbers, have dropped by 70%. We know that 90% of the large mammals on Earth are humans, our pets, and our livestock measured by weight. 70% of the birds in the world uh, are now poultry. This is the extent to which humans have commandeered all the resources of the Earth for our own wants.
2: Can I bring you in perhaps, Yvonne Buckley, just as the professor of zoology at Trinity College? Just give us your take, first of all, on the UN report.
3: Yeah, so throughout my entire career, scientific career, um, these studies have been accumulating. So as Jane said, we've known about biodiversity loss for quite a long time, but it's been piecemeal. We've had, you know, a little study here, a little study there, bigger studies showing, you know, worrying trends. And now the collection of all of these thousands of scientific papers together in the um, in the UN report is really, really important. And it provides that consensus. So there's no, we can no longer argue about the facts, which is great. There's you know, something like
2: about nearly there's just under two thousand um, pages of findings, mm-hmm. I think alone as part of this. Absolutely. So all we have at the moment is is we have a, a,
3: a tens of pages in the um, policymakers summary, um, where lots of of the the essence of the scientific report is distilled, um, and then to follow there will be thousands and thousands of pages of the scientific report, which pulls together all of these studies. So there are multiple lines of evidence. We're not just relying on one source of evidence to say that species are declining or ecosystems are degrading. And in fact, in Ireland, we can see exactly the same kinds of trends. If we look at the data from Ireland, we see that 90% of our habitats, um, this is where species live, 90% of them are in inadequate or bad condition. And this is reporting that we do every seven years to the EU to fulfill our requirements under, under um, policy, EU policy. So this is Irish government data uh, which is showing that 90% of our habitats are in inadequate or bad condition. And over 30% of our species, of the, the species we have to report on, are also in inadequate or bad uh, uh, population conditions. So it's it's not like this is happening somewhere else. This is mm. happening here in Ireland. And we're seeing the same kinds of pressures here that are outlined in the IPBES report. Um, we're seeing uh, intensification of agriculture. And I have an experiment myself in the Burren that shows that if you fertilize grasslands, very, very quickly you lose species. So the most competitive grass species um, dominate and you lose all the all the other species. So you can go from a beautiful grassland with 30 or 40 species in it down to a grassland with two or three or four species in a matter of two or three years. And we you know we've seen that in real time. And that kind of result has been replicated all over the world in similar experiments. So we see from experimental evidence, we see it from observed declines, like Porik was talking about, Um, you know, the multiple lines of evidence here, all pointing in the same direction.
2: Is there any one area most of concern at the moment for us domestically here in Ireland?
3: Um, So I guess uh, in Ireland, well, land use change is one of the huge drivers of um, biodiversity declines. And that's true in Ireland as well as everywhere else. And the land use changes come from um, um, agricultural intensification, so changing the kind of agriculture that we're doing on the landscape or putting agriculture in places where it wasn't before. Um, Forestry, um, putting in place forestry in places where it's inappropriate to do so, that can degrade the biodiversity that was there before. Um, um, And then there's changes to our freshwater habitats as well. Things like pollution are particularly um, important for reducing uh, the insects and fish um, that live in our fresh waters and that actually provide us with important uh, water cleaning services. So without the animals and plants that live in our lakes and our rivers, um, our water would be in far worse condition than it is.
2: The thing about it is, this particular report, and you've all highlighted, I suppose, the fact that there every country has contributed and this is a compilation of a huge amount and vast and very extensive research. There's actually no area unaffected by this and it just strikes me that it's not a message that's kind of been hammered home to people. Would that be fair, Jane?
0: I think that's fair. Um, you know, everybody understands and knows about climate change now. Um, and that is as a result of the IPCC and the, the global assessment reports on climate. This is the equivalent. So this is the first time there's been a global assessment of biodiversity and ecosystems. Um, and so it's it's the first time that it has has the same kind of gravitas, I guess, as the, the climate change reports. Um, and so it hasn't been in people's consciousness, and as, as Porik is saying, you know, we, we we step outside, it's still green. We still think there's mm. nature out there. It's just that it's very degraded, um, and you know, the the trajectory that we're on at the moment means that um, our future well-being and our future livelihoods are going to be affected by the loss of biodiversity and ecosystems in the same way that we're going to be affected by climate change.
2: Is that Porik a lack of understanding that people have about actually what's happening? That it was you said, you know, it's it's hard to see something that isn't there if it's already gone. But I mean, is it a like, I would think, and I'm sure lots of people think, particularly in more rural parts, if you go outside the urban centres, there's lots of nature there, you know, to, to see in a visual level. Is it just that it's the, the quality of it that's gone?
1: No. Uh, entire ecosystems have disappeared. Uh, I would, I mean, we, we might come as a surprise, we don't have natural ecosystems in Ireland anymore. Uh, um, they've, at all? They've all collapsed, yeah, even out at sea, they've all collapsed because of industrialisation. Um, why people haven't noticed, I mean, this is. It's an education problem. Uh, It's not taught in our schools. Um, It's not communicated in the media. Uh, Right, we have a lot of reports this week in the media and all of a sudden uh, uh, it seems, wow, this is a thing. This has been going on for decades. The Irish Wildlife Trust has been working in this area for 40 years this year, Uh, but it hasn't really been communicated in the media. Too often we have seen nature conservation as opposed to human and economic development. And nature has lost the battle every single time. And if we're going to uh, make progress in the areas that we need to make progress, we need to fundamentally change the way we think about nature, that nature is not opposed to humanity. Humanity is very much a part of nature and nature has a right to exist. So it is this ethical change that I think really needs to to be transformed.
2: Is that something, do you think, Yvonne Buckley, that's easily done?
3: Because that would be a
2: massive, I think, societal shift in Ireland. It's- yeah,
3: I mean, I think the very first thing we need to do is look at what we have. Um, you know, and, and porrick is right that our, our historical ecosystems have been lost. They've been transformed. Um, so they've been changed into something quite different. We've created new ecosystems with our cities, for example, that never existed before, and with our agro ecosystems. So this is the plants and animals that live in our in our um, farms and, and roadsides. And, you know, we have transformed these ecosystems massively. Um, they are homes to different kinds of animals and plants than they ever were before. Now, we want to maximise the amount of nature of species that are out there in, you know, in, in our ecosystems that can provide us with goods and services, things like health and well wellbeing, um, things like clean water, things like food. We can't farm without biodiversity. We need um, nature to be um, part of our agro ecosystems.
2: I suppose a lot of the changes though that have taken place, have, I imagine, have been to facilitate and to assist Particularly in the agricultural sector, sorry, I should say, but in terms of mm-hmm. trying to improve the the livelihoods of many sure.
3: people. Sure, I mean we couldn't have the number of people living in in the world right now without the transformation of ecosystems. Um, but our consumption and our overconsumption is really degrading those ecosystems now. So part of the issue is that um, we do need societal change in how we how we get resources from nature, how we how we consume the services and goods that we get from nature in order to enable a good quality of life for everyone in Ireland and in, in the world. If we really, you know, if we believe, if we, if we need to have a vision for what we actually want as citizens in this country over the next 25, 50 years and what our children and grandchildren are going to be able to do in this country and um, with the resources that they have available to them. At the moment, we are narrowing our options massively because of the loss of biodiversity. So um, the kinds of um, ecosystem goods and services that our children and our, our, our grandchildren and even ourselves in 40 mm-hmm. or 50 years time will be able to get from these systems is being narrowed and narrowed and narrowed and uh, until you know, we have very few options left. So if, if our only options are a few crops or a, um, a couple of breeds of livestock and something goes wrong with those, then that's that's very bad for our you know our survival and our life support systems. So part of the the value of biodiversity um, and nature is actually expanding the range of options that are available to us. We don't know what the world is going to be like in 50 years' time and well, what we're going to need.
2: That's what I was going to ask. Like I mean, for people driving along in their cars at the moment, listening to this, and you're talking about the range of options that are out there and the need mm-hmm. to diversify and to change what we're doing. How will things, as they stand right now, actually change? Jane for people like what the, the impact of this report we talk about all the findings all the different things that are going to happen over the next number of years like I suppose in just a kind of a very simplistic term for people what what does like what will actually change that they, that they will see like or they won't see anymore
0: I mean, I think it depends on how uh, the the findings from the report are implemented. So it depends on how our government reacts, uh, what we do now as a result of the report. Uh, We we already have environmental policies. uh, We already have... um, Uh, policies for for biodiversity conservation which need to be uh, implemented properly Um, but I think one of the problems is uh, a lot of the time we don't know what there is out there so we have um, various ways of measuring our uh, economic uh, system status so we have you know national accounts uh, we have GDP we have um, ways of measuring our population we have population censuses Uh, we don't have an equivalent for nature so we don't have an account of what our stock of nature is at the moment um, if we had that then we can start to look at how that might how that's changed in the past which we kind of know it's, it's deteriorated mm-hmm. um, and how our actions uh, restoration or enhancements can improve that stock of nature and make sure that these goods and services are still delivered so for example if a farmer's doing his accounts uh, soil doesn't appear on the farmer's accounts which is crazy because you can't farm without soil so it's it's you know it's changing the way that we uh, manage it's changing the way that we, um, uh, our policies, the way that we do things on the ground, and the way we report on. Okay,
2: them. just explain that to me and the mm. the idea of um, putting soil, for instance, on a basic level, just just on the accounts in terms of like a kind of a stock take. Like, yeah. how would that actually work, or what would that involve for farmers?
0: So, I mean, it would inter- in in terms of putting nature into a balance sheet, we need to know what there is. Um, and so we need to know how much of it there is. So, you know, if we're talking about soil, we can look at, at the, uh, the quality of the soil using various uh, metrics for, for soil quality. We can look at, um, you know, if, if the amount of forestry and the, the amount of carbon that's being sequestered by that forest. So all of these metrics for nature and what they're doing, we start with the basics of, of how much is there and then what's the quality Um, of that asset and then we can start to look at how we can improve the quality of that asset so in terms of soils if we've got very degraded soils um, then the quality of those soils is is low Uh, so what can we do to improve the quality of those soils and what can we do to improve the quality of those soils such that <clears throat> Excuse me. Such that it's the um, the functioning of the soils that's preserved uh, and enhanced, rather than just resorting to um, uh, synthetic application of you know fertilizers mm-hmm. or something.
2: Is that something, pork Fogarty? Do you think would that contribute in any way to actually improving things?
1: Um, I think uh, I think it's probably part of the solution, um, but I think uh, what is what is more important is 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 how we address our relationship with nature. I mean, we have laws going back now 30 years to protect wildlife in Ireland and uh, and they keep coming, you know, and we keep signing up to these laws and then they're completely forgotten about. Uh, how is it, you know, I, I struggle to explain to my children how we have laws in this country that can be completely ignored uh, to protect wildlife. Um... So we have to uh, which, you know, this is where it comes back to to how we value nature and how we value our place in nature. I think maybe we need a, a constitutional amendment to give uh, people a right to live within a healthy environment. This is something that has been approached in uh, in some South American countries, for instance, where nature uh, has a constitutional right. And we're seeing this in some other countries as well, where natural ecosystems are given the same rights as people and can uh, sue industries uh, w- uh, that are damaging it.
2: That would be a massive shift in Ireland.
1: But should we need a massive shift in Ireland? We're destroying everything uh, all around us. Uh, You know, anybody who has, uh, you know, any research in this you're driving around ireland and all we see is destruction everywhere we have to uh, try and restore some element of of nature uh, not just on land but in our seas as well i mean remember our seas are three quarters of the earth's surface they're absolutely enormous and to borrow a phrase they're too big to fail we may not realize how dependent we are on the seas but we get half of our oxygen if the ocean uh, ecosystem collapses and stops producing oxygen we really are in big trouble.
2: Do you just, I'm just curious, do you think would there be an appetite for something like that?
1: For uh, new laws? Yeah. Uh, I think if it is explained properly, uh, yes, and I think there's also big opportunities in it as well. This is not a punitive measure. I think people like the idea of, of protecting nature and uh, and living with, in harmony with it and, and having thriving nature. I think there's enormous benefits uh, to address other things. The United Nations have come out with goals known as the uh, Sustainable Development Goals. And it's about not addressing climate change in one corner and addressing biodiversity in another, but it's about addressing all of these things, poverty, inequality, education, uh, in one go. Because when we look at one area, we find, well, we can't do this because it is linked to poverty over here.
2: What's your take, actually, on some of those points, Yvonne, that have been mentioned there by Jane and Pork? Um, So
3: there's a, there's a couple of things. One is that, We have this, I guess, a blanket. If you can imagine a blanket and there's lots of threads in it and we're pulling out the threads one by one and that's species loss. We're pulling out one thread, another thread and it doesn't matter for a while, you still have a blanket. So you can pull out quite a few threads, you'll still have a blanket, it'll still function. But we're at the stage now where we've got all of these benefits from nature for free for a very long time and we still have our blanket. But now we're at a point where it's starting to look very threadbare in places and we're starting to need to put patches on it and transform this blanket into something still usable, um, you know. So that's that's the analogy that I that I use. And all of the interactions between species are critical for holding those threads together. So we're breaking all of that down. What we can do at this point is really think about what we want in this country in terms of rural development, in terms of urbanisation, and how we can make that work with nature and not against it. So we have amazing natural resources in Ireland, we have amazing marine resources, amazing resources on land and in our fresh waters, and we need to look after them. Um, so we need to have sustainable agriculture, sustainable food production systems, sustainable forestry that provides multiple benefits to people, not just timber um, as a private gain, but some public services, things like amenity values. People love to go for walking and mountain biking and, and you know using these, mm. these natural resources. They underpin our tourism industry, which is hugely important. But, you know, without proper management, there can be, um, you know, pressures from tourism back onto those assets. So it really is in our self-interest, not just just nature for nature's sake, but it's in our self-interest as citizens and members of the society to look after it so that we continue to get those benefits and to enhance those benefits. Um, you know, we can be looking at a much brighter future than we have currently looking at business as usual by taking nature into account here, by quantifying it, as Jane said, by appreciating it for its values, as, as Porik said, and by making people more aware of the amazing nature that we we do still have amazing nature in Ireland. We still have Killarney National Park, amazing oak woodlands, um, Atlantic rainforest, excuse me, Atlantic rainforests is what they're called. Mm. We have Wicklow Mountains National Park. Um, we have um, amazing local uh, countryside back where I'm from in Do Hallow. We have, you know, freshwater pearl mussels in the River Blackwater and the River Aloe. Um, we have um, hen harriers, you know, flying over our countryside, and these are beautiful things to see. Or even if you don't see them, to know they're there, and the history that's involved with freshwater pearl mussels and the pearls were used as jewelry back, you know, in, in ancient times. Um, you know, it, there's a lot of culture and heritage there that we could be, be really proud of, and it's part of our identity, we don't want to lose our identity.
2: Earlier this week as well, we also had a decision from the government to support a Fade of Fallback motion to declare a climate emergency in Ireland. Can can you just perhaps, Jane, explain the link between the the UN report, we're talking very specifically in the first part of the programme about the extinction of, effectively, nature, if you like, or the collapse of nature, and now this climate change emergency and, and how the two are interlinked?
0: Yeah, and um, climate change and biodiversity, you know, people often think of them as separate issues, but they're, they're two sides of the same coin. Uh, so loss of ecosystems, d- destruction of habitat can have negative impacts on climate, uh, can cause the release of greenhouse uh, gases, can uh, deter- cause climate deterioration. Uh, but nature can also be a solution to climate change. So by um, increasing forest cover, by restoring and re-wetting boglands, we can bring carbon back into the system uh, from the atmosphere. So the link between biodiversity and, and ecosystems and climate change is, is is fundamental. you know the two are uh, inherently linked together and we can't um, afford to put in climate mitigation measures that uh, cause further destruction of biodiversity. and research has shown that if you put in measures to restore biodiversity, you get climate benefits as well. So the, the two things go hand in hand. Can you just give us your
2: viewpoint as well? I suppose pork on
0: that.
1: Yeah, I mean <clears throat> the two the two issues are very much linked because they're both related to, to uh, humanity's extraction of nature from from you know habitats from the the land and the sea uh, to meet our own economic goals. So I mean you know cutting down a forest uh, to create timber uh, is similar enough to to sucking oil out of the ground and, and burning it. Um, but uh, there have been studies to show that. Uh, restoring nature can help us meet about 30% of our climate change targets uh, under the Paris Agreement and this can be done through regenerating our bogs, through regrowing our forests, uh, through protecting our seas and uh, what's called regenerative agriculture.
2: So, so just to be clear for people listening because they will have heard us talking quite a lot this week about the idea or the notion of the, the climate change emergency that's been declared. I think we're only the second country to, to, to do so here in Ireland but that doesn't actually include what we're talking about in terms of what's contained in the UN report.
1: It does actually, yeah. Uh, the declaration was a climate and biodiversity emergency. Okay, so that is want to link be clear the about. two it. things, yes.
2: So does that mean that there is now an urgency that the government has accepted that this is actually a priority?
1: Well, we have to hope so. Um, certainly, you know, it's it sounds great and it makes a great headline, but we really have no time to be hanging around. Uh, we have to move to action phase. Uh, there's lots of things we can be doing There are short term things, there are things that are going to take much longer and will need uh, more time One of the really positive things that came out this week was that uh, the Citizens Assembly is going to be mobilised to discuss the issue of biodiversity loss This is really important Mm. because what we fundamentally need to do is start talking about it. We need discussions at every level from governments right down to local communities about how we're going to address this and everybody needs to get involved and the Citizens' Assembly really is the perfect place to do that.
2: And what would you be hoping would come from something like that? The fact I mean, people will be aware of the Citizens' Assembly and how involved it was in terms of, you know, the discussion before the um, the, the Eighth Amendment and very, you know, we've had various different items that have been discussed. It wasn't just one sole issue, but what would you expect might or what would you like to see come from that?
1: Well, uh, number one, we have to, we, we we need a commitment that we're going to implement the laws we already have. We need to start funding nature conservation in Ireland. Nature conservation gets absolute pennies. I mean, we give about the same amount of money to greyhound racing, believe it or not, that we do to preserving our national parks and, and saving species from extinction. Uh, and this has just been uh, just a very low priority for, for government spending. That has to change. Uh, and we have to bring nature conservation into every single department in government, into every everything we do. Um, One of the big ideas that that has to happen is the creation of marine protected areas. So we need to start creating these large areas of sea where damaging activities are excluded. We have a great opportunity along the bogs which have been basically destroyed for for turf extraction and and electricity burning. But that land could be rewilded. We could bring nature back to that land and that would help uh, not only with nature but with our climate change targets and it would be great local amenity for people and a source of sustainable business. I know people
2: will say that are listening today in many of these cases and some of the examples you've mentioned with regards to to turf particularly turf turf cutting there was employment supplied created to so many people I mean as a resource there was a benefit to people is it hard to kind of weigh up the the, who has the most right I suppose it's a kind of a, a bit of a moral question like
1: well, that—I mean—that was a decision that was made in the nineteen fifties. You know, the bogs were seen as a problem, and uh, and you know, Bordemona was set up, and and like, of course, I can see it brought local employment and economic activity to those areas, but that was only ever going to last for a certain length of time. We you think now, there's
2: other uh, areas or other? Well, I mean, the resources the,
1: that can be utilised. The 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 turf has been taken out of the ground, and it's not there anymore. So, what do we do with it now? Um, you know, Bordemona is coming up with all these kind of more get-rich-quick schemes, but what we really want is more community involvement. What do we want for the long-term future? I think there's a strong moral argument that we we have destroyed an entire ecosystem when we took the bogs out. Uh, we need to, in a way, pay reparations now to nature and give that land back to nature.
2: What's your view, Yvonne Buckley? I suppose we have a couple of different points that have been mentioned there. Yeah, so
3: first on the, the biodiversity expenditure um, point, um, we really do... Um, we we don't spend enough on uh, biodiversity here in Ireland. So just 0.31% of the total government expenditure is spent on biodiversity in this country. And we see it as a a critical infrastructure. Without biodiversity, our industries, our our economy and our society would collapse. So just a tiny fraction of a percent um, of government spending is currently put on biodiversity. Um, And that, you know, stacks up badly in comparison to other things that the government um, spends money on. So I hope that this climate and biodiversity emergency that's been declared will really increase the amount of funding that goes to not just the National Parks and Wildlife Service which has suffered um, massive declines in funding over the last few years in particular but to um, wider society as well to local authorities to enable them to conserve biodiversity locally in communities and provide benefits to the local communities from the biodiversity in their area and through improved subsidies for um, agroecosystems where we're Um, paying farmers for the public goods that they produce in terms of clean water, carbon sequestration and biodiversity that they produce. Um, that we align our incentives so that we don't have incentives fighting against each mm. other. So you know we're we're using incentives to intensify agriculture on the one hand, and then we have other incentives or other actions to conserve the biodiversity that gets ruined in that in that process. You know, so that's not very effective or good use of gov- of government money.
2: There's a couple of different things. What is the current legislation or policy with regards to this area? Yeah. Chain
0: yeah, so um, currently we have both national and international laws for biodiversity conservation. So under EU laws, um, we have protected areas and protected species. Um, and then we have uh, national level policies for wildlife Um some of these um, enforcements, some of these regulations, if they were properly enforced, would make a massive difference. But as Porik was saying earlier, in many cases, some of the the the, uh, the policy is being ignored, um, and and that can't continue. But is that by the public, uh, by by yeah, across all sectors, in fact.
2: And c- can you just expand a little bit more sure. on the current legislation, Porik? I suppose that that exists. Here in
1: Ireland. If we were to implement the laws that we already have, uh, we would have marine protected areas, we would have an end to overfishing, we would have all our habitats and our threatened species at good status, this is under European law. Uh, we would have our waters in really good uh, condition because we have what's called a water framework directive. But of course, half our waters are polluted. We do massive dredging and draining programs on on our rivers. So if we were to implement the laws we have, we'd be in a much, much better space. I actually don't think... There are that many new laws we would need. I can think of one or two in minor areas. Um, We have a biodiversity action plan. In fact, we have three biodiversity action plans because we've spent the past 15 years writing them and then they go on a shelf and they get taken down off the shelf after five years and the same actions go into the next plan. So... um, this, you know, our priority in many ways has been writing plans and uh, signing laws that have been given to us from Brussels. And it's just this total lack well, of engagement. Well, that's the thing.
2: And I suppose when you talk about particularly with the marine, the fishing, the the, 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 um, the fishing sector, I suppose, in particular, we have obviously EU legislation. You say we currently have a plethora of laws here as it stands at the moment it's it's a case of actually it's the implementation of all of this Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely
1: mm-hmm. and, and every time um, uh, the laws are, come along uh, we get lobbyists in particular special interests coming in and uh, governments tend to cave to special interests and of course there's nobody protesting on the street well not until recently uh, to protect freshwater pearl mussels or, 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 or other you know maybe obscure species uh, so it's much easier for governments to bend to the more immediate uh, pressure from lobby groups. Is
2: there more of an interest in the climate change? I'm just curious about this and we were talking about it earlier in the week. Is there more of an appetite or is it more popular for the public to have an interest in the climate aspect of this rather than the biodiversity?
3: So, um, as Jane said, the two are interconnected. Um, What people experience in their own communities is biodiversity, it's nature. I think the problem is that it it they, it's there. People see green and they see the odd bird, and you know they they don't realize what they're losing. Um, you know, so I think we do need to learn a bit more about um, nature in our own backyards to really understand what it is, and and you know our, increase our connection with it. And we get more benefits by knowing more about it particularly in mental health issues and things like that. Um, the more connected you are to nature, the closer you have green spaces, it's been shown scientifically, the better your mental health is. So there's huge benefits to be gained from just knowing what we have and what's around us. And um, we have we have 119 actions in our National Biodiversity Action Plan. If we could implement, and if we had the resourcing, the capacity to implement all of those actions, um, we would be well on our way to fixing a lot of these problems. Is
2: it the implementation of them? Is it like, I assume the government will say, well, you know, the laws are there people are made aware of what the laws are. If you break them, you'll be penalised. Is it an enforcement issue? Is it just that we're not actually enforcing it when people break this? There are enforcement
3: issues, for sure. Um, There's also, we we can have all these actions in in our biodiversity action plan, but if there's no money, if there's no financing to support the agencies, the NGOs and the individuals that are required to implement these actions, then there's nothing they can do. If there's perverse incentives that are acting against each other, Um, you know it's very hard to act in that place and it's a cross-governmental issue we need all departments to have uh, to act on biodiversity not just one
2: we we have been consistently failing to meet any of the targets that have been put in place um, at an EU level here in Ireland. Um, Mm -hmm. And and, and that's by by uh, various different governments that have failed to meet those particular targets. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden this week, we have this climate emergency and biodiversity emergency that's been declared by the government and there's a cross party support for it. But I just get the sense that it, it hasn't really been a vote getter over the years and therefore it's really just not a priority.
0: I think that's true, and I think people are becoming more aware. Um, so, you know, we've seen in the media, social media, we've seen people getting more aware of the issues, getting behind things like Extinction Rebellion, um, the the school climate strikes, the, the Friday climate strikes. You know, it's it's raising awareness of environmental issues that that hasn't necessarily been there recently. Um, and I think one of the one of the issues in terms of you know Yvonne's point about um, increasing resources to to be able to um, enforce the policies that we have. We, we, we lack capacity. So we really lack capacity in terms of uh, people who can do this stuff. So we need to increase uh, our, our capacity um, in this country in order to be able to deliver on what we, we need to deliver. But the other thing we need to do is look at how we value Uh, nature and we're talking about the fact that it hasn't been a priority it it hasn't even been on the balance sheet so it's not even been in the decision making it's not even in the room so how can we make these decisions the decisions that are based (coughs) excuse me on numbers when we don't have numbers for nature in our decision making so we need to shift the way that we think about nature absolutely through government departments through uh, individual organizations businesses everyday actions by by you know uh, everyone in society um think about how we are, Um, using nature think about how we value nature and bring it into the conversation mainstream it make sure it's there in in every decision not just buried away in a biodiversity action plan that 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 everyone's ignoring but actually up front and center in everything that we do
2: so we kind of have various different academics you know on the panel today that, that can give their opinion on it and also yourself or perhaps more from the more representative body group but do you think is there a political will to actually address this
1: well, we haven't seen political will uh, up to now and um, it does, you know, any time we, we give politicians a hard time mostly because they deserve it. But uh, politicians I speak to will say to me, well, you know, I go around from door to door and nobody's ever spoken to, to me about um about nature and climate change and these kinds of things. So in many ways, there's nothing in it for politicians or it hasn't been up to date uh, to address these things. So that has to change as well. I mean, at the moment, we're in an election cycle. People, politicians are calling to doors. If they start hearing it, uh, they will, the will will come.
2: That's kind of my point, though, is that I just, I mean, I, it probably is the case that many politicians in, in, in certain areas of the country they aren't probably hearing anything about this I think it's on it's further down the priority list for people
1: yeah yeah absolutely yeah so I mean we have to we have to raise it up the priority list that's why this report this week has been so good because it has uh, kind of injected a jolt of of reality into the debate and, and lots of people are talking about it that maybe hadn't been talking about it
2: I, I just mentioned to you as well pork, a few moments ago about that idea of the uh, the, the climate and biodiversity emergency that's been declared I mean do you think is that just kind of words
1: well so far yes Um, we have two very important uh, things that came out of it one was that um, the issue of biodiversity loss will be sent to the citizens assembly that's uh, that is a very concrete positive action the other thing is that the government announced that they were going to accept in full uh, the joint report on climate action now there's a lot in there for nature as well Uh, so that is very positive so in that regard Yes, it's slightly more than words, but really we haven't seen any action. Like There's a couple of things that the government could literally do in the morning Mm. if they were serious. Just give
2: us two or three of the top headline ones for people that are just tuning in.
1: Right, so Breed Smith is a TD. She has proposed a climate emergency bill that would stop all new oil and gas exploration uh, in our seas. Um, that could happen tomorrow. If The government would just have to say we're going to not issue any more licences licenses for that. That would obviously have impacts for greenhouse gases. It would also protect our marine life because the way they explore for oil and gas involves sending these shock waves through the ocean that is killing our whales and dolphins. That's number one. Number two, we also have a bill in the Oireachtas at the moment that is planning to open up areas that had previously been protected for nature conservation, for golf courses and turf cutting. That's in there at the moment. They could decide, okay, we're not going to support this anymore.
2: So they're just kind of the two top mainline things that you think could actually be rolled out?
1: In the very short term, yes.
2: And how much of these problems that are you know spread across all of the newspapers this week? How much of that would they address?
1: Well, I think it would it would send a, a signal that they're serious, um, and it would start the process. I mean, so far, all we've had is talk. I mean, we've had governments saying they think climate change is really important, and then the next day they're issuing new uh, licenses for oil and gas exploration. So of course, people are cynical, and people think that this is this is all just talk. We need some signals now in the short term. If it is an emergency, what are the actions we're going to take okay. now and you today? say the
2: Citizens' Assembly certainly recommendation is, you take that as being one of those. Can I ask you, Yvonne Buckley, just I suppose for your kind of general sense on the political ambition or motivation to kind of address these issues?
3: Yeah, I mean, the, the IPES, just getting back to the IPES report for a second, I mean, they have a very strong statement in there that we need um, big societal transformative change, um, that this can't be done on a piecemeal basis and that that kind of approach has failed up till now. And that there are huge vested interests that will have to be overcome in order to get that societal change to happen. So we're talking about big change here in society in Ireland and worldwide in order to, to protect nature and biodiversity. We've shown in Ireland in recent decades that we can do change. We can. We've had big societal changes. Um, we're, we're now asking our politicians to step up again and say, you know, this is probably the biggest societal transformative change that we're, we've are we been asking for in recent decades. So that's the level watch, uh, uh, that things are at and the IPBES report provides some really useful ways forward here about how to structure that change and the first thing they say to start with is a vision of what makes a good life so it's on citizens it's up to us to say what we think a good life would involve and it would involve things like you know adequate food good quality food you know well-being a healthy life and um, good mental and physical health um, the ability to um, uh, use our resources sustainably and provide for intergenerational justice and in that the next generation coming after us and after them will have a similar suite of options available to them. So, you know, I think if we start the conversation with what kind of life do we want to have and then what kind of nature and environment will provide for that good life, um, that then will, will naturally then, a, a bunch of, of, of different solutions will present themselves, some of which we can do with appropriate resourcing right now Um, and some of which will require more, uh, more transformative change.
2: Can I just ask you, how do other EU countries address this particular issue?
0: Well, the, the um, climate and biodiversity crisis that was uh, announced by the government this week um, comes just a few days after the UK has announced um, a, a climate crisis. Uh, other European countries haven't responded yet, but I suspect that there, there may be more that will will now come on board. I think it's great that Ireland's leading the way um, in terms of this. Um in in terms of the reactions um, and the uh, it, it's it's been different in different countries, and I think there are different issues in different countries and different uh, drivers um, for biodiversity loss in different areas. So I think there's there's not a one size fits all solution um, in terms of the the individual policies and the implementation. Is it, it varies across the country? Mm-hmm. So I think that's why there's a lot of responsibility on us to develop what's right for us here you know, in the, in the, within the uh, the big picture of restoration of biodiversity and, and halting climate change. Porak, if other countries,
2: EU countries, still have to really address this issue and yet we're the second to actually, you know, put it on the priority list, if you like, and the government has declared it a, a climate and biodiversity emergency, are we actually lagging that far behind then?
1: Um, Well, I mean, the figures will say that. And um, only yesterday, I think it was, uh, there's a new summit on at the moment in Romania and eight of the leaders uh, said that they wanted to increase the prioritisation of climate change. And Ireland wasn't among that eight. So um, certainly there's no country that is doing perfectly well, particularly on a a nature um, uh, debate, though. Uh, Most European countries, I would say nearly all of them, have large areas within them that are only, only for nature, that are kind of wilderness, if you like. You can go to Spain, for instance, and you'll find areas where there's wolves and bears and great areas of forest. Um, there's nowhere in Ireland like that uh, because our landscape has been so utterly transformed and I think that needs to form part of the debate about where we're going in the future as well. Are we willing to give areas of land back that would be predominantly for nature and I'm not talking about kicking people off their land and building a fence mm, around yeah, areas just to be clear about yes, that. Yes before... absolutely like I, I do like in these areas in Spain that I'm talking about you have communities and you have people living and, and quite lively economies in many cases uh, but they have learned to live with nature and with these big animals and uh, and wild nature and that has to be part of the solution I think.
2: Is there any one particular EU country just by way of comparison Yvonne that people can kind of draw to?
3: Um, I'm particularly impressed by the, the 25 year vision for the environment that the UK has put up recently where they went out and they thought about you know what is it that we want in 25 years time um, and, and that gets you out of these short termist kind of, um, you know, election cycle to election cycle um, type of, of action that we have. You know, so having something like the, the Ireland 2040 project for nature and biodiversity would be a really good way to start, mm. I think. And that would enable us to, to put that vision together of what we actually want in terms of nature and the environment and its support for our industries, economy and society. Um, so I like that. Um, I agree that with Porik about these big um, wild areas that you have in places like even Poland, Italy, you know, where, where they have big enough areas that they can have bears and wolves and, and, and all of the ecosystem services that go with that. Um, that we have the opportunity to do something really exciting in Ireland, in, in various different parts of the country. The introduction or the reintroduction of golden eagles in Donegal has been uh, you know, amazing. And white-tailed eagles uh, down in Cork and Kerry has been fantastic. I mean, these are amazing animals to go and see. And to think that we have these top level um, carnivores and predators, you know, back in our countryside mm. is fantastic. And it, it's a sign of a healthy environment when you can support and big animals like that
2: I think people will say yeah look this is an issue I want to see it addressed and I know just from the kind of messages and text messages that we get from listeners into the station it is a priority for a lot of people and they do care more about climate and biodiversity issues than they ever did before and it's all fine until all of a sudden there's a carbon tax, or there's some sort of a some sort of a stick, you know, to try and actually address this. I mean, is that something is that what we really need, I suppose, just to ask you all around the room before we finish starting with yourself, Jane, is that the kind of measures we need to really address this? We need to start penalising people who are
0: I mean I think it's you know it can't just be the stick there needs to be the carrot as well so there needs to be incentivization as well as taxes Um, and I I think you know people are becoming more aware as you say and people are getting more involved and I think one of the the really key things that came out in in the report last week was that um, people can act locally and that can make a difference so if you act locally for biodiversity that contributes to the global problem of biodiversity loss and the global problem of climate change so people can do things Things that aren't going to um, make their, their, their lifestyles worse. Yes, there's going to need to be so, some taxes and some changes in the way uh, that um, uh, the you know, behavior, behavioral changes can be both stick and carrot, mm-hmm. so taxes and uh, incentives. Um, but there, there, I think there, there is the appetite for, for change and like I say glo- local change can make uh, a difference. If everybody does something, that can make a difference. Ulrich Fogarty?
1: I think it goes back to the UN Sustainable Development Goals and it's why they're so important. We don't want to address climate change and then increase inequality. We don't want to reverse extinction and make poverty worse. Uh, So we can't look at all these problems in isolation. A carbon tax, for instance, may be part of the solution, but we have to explain to communities where the future is going and and what the alternatives and the options are. And I think that can be done. It's not necessarily easy, but it can be done if we collaborate in the right way. And fa-
3: the final word to you for today, Van. I think nature is a critical e- infrastructure piece. It's, you know, we fund our hospitals, we fund roads, we fund broadband. Uh, we need to invest in nature so that it can underpin and continue to underpin the economies and the societies that we have here in Ireland. Without that investment, it's just going to fall apart.
2: Lots to consider uh, and really informative from all of the panelists today. My thanks to you for joining us. If, if you have a view on this, you want to get in touch with us, you can do so by emailing between the lines at newstalk.com or on Twitter at myself at Andrea Gilligan. I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. My thanks to the panel, Jane Stout, Pork Fogarty, and Yvonne Buckley. If you've missed any of the program, you can download the podcast on our website at newstalk.com or search for news talks between the lines on iTunes or any other podcast player. My thanks to the production team, Elaine Power and Stephen Jordan. I'll be back again with breakfast. Briefing on Monday morning from six, and also with Between the Lines this time next week. But for me, Andrea Gilligan, have a good day.
1: Between the Lines
0: on News Want to know how technology is building a bridge to the future? Then tune into The Bridge, a six-part Cisco podcast series featuring experts sharing their knowledge and insights. Find out how technology is building a bridge to the future of business and beyond. The Bridge podcast series powered by Cisco. Listen now on the Go Loud app or wherever you get your podcasts.